Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Well, what's up, everybody? Man, I hope you're ready to have a good time. I am ready to have an incredible time with you tonight. Um, before we jump into uh, tonight's word, what I just want to do is just take a moment uh, and really to just show honor to who uh, I believe and we believe as a gathering honor is due. And, and if you're familiar with today, it is Veterans Day. And we are so thankful uh, for the individuals and families who have sacrificed, some who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And we are so grateful and thankful for your service. And we want to honor you. Uh, so if you are currently serving, have served, or, or a spouse uh, representing someone who is serving even currently through a deployment, would you just stand for a minute? I know you don't love it when this happens. Would you stand? We could just honor you and thank you so much for what you have done. We are incredibly grateful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Again, I know that's not why you do that, um, but we just want to show honor to you and thank you for your service. And we also uh, want to just continue thinking about how, uh, even through this series, we've talked about this idea that we want to do stuff. We don't just want to talk about stuff. That's even why it's called more than a hashtag, because it's easy to post something online and to, to quote something, to share something, and feel like you did something without actually doing anything. I want to celebrate here in a second our gathering, because uh, last week we focused on bringing in uh, 150 boxes of Jiffy Cornbread mix. And every time I say that, I feel like the necessity to go like a little bit of Southern on that. Like, I don't know why I'm from New England. So like I have no Southern thing in me at all, I guess. Uh, but like Jiffy Cornbread mix, amen? Y'all feel that? Yes? Yeah, man, we're ready to get some food on in here. It's five o'clock, it's dinner time somewhere, right? But here's the deal. So we, we set out the goal. We're gonna bring in 150 boxes of Jiffy Cornbread mix. And uh, even this past week on Thursday, we went over and I was counting them and we already on Thursday had more than 150 here. And today more people were bringing them in. I think we just need to celebrate that. We have tons and tons of cornbread that came in that we are celebrating because here's the deal. Here's the, it seems like such a small thing for some of us. But this is like a big thing for a lot of us. And I can promise you, this is a big thing for the families that we're gonna give this food to. Because there's families all over our area that, that they cannot have a holiday meal, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas. And we, uh, through your generosity, through our generosity, we are able to be part of a church's coming together as the church and loving on people who need some love and caring for people who need to be cared on in our community in a very practical way. I could told you this story last week if you were with us, uh, not to like brag on myself because I am far from a great dad. I want to be a great dad. Hopefully someday I can learn how to be a great dad. But I took my, my four-year-old and, and we went and got some cornbread mix and she got a little one. And this past Sunday, this morning, we, we came over here and she dropped it off. And this is how cool it was. Like as a dad, like forget being a pastor at the church, like as a dad, just be able to show her like, look at all this cornbread. 
And she like doesn't understand what cornbread is. She just knows she has her little box and she can see all this stuff. And it's like, wow. And I was like, but like this is the like this is our church. This is what we're a part of. Like we get to give to people who don't have food. And she understands. She's telling her little friend Lydia, yeah, people don't have food, and I'm, we're giving them food. And imagine like if if my kid, imagine if your kid, whether they're they're four or 14 or 24, like imagine if we could really begin to understand that we can make a difference, that we are here to make a difference, that we can do something. So awesome job, we got plenty of cornbread. We're gonna give that out uh, to Gift to Hope and they're gonna redo it and put it in bundles and give it away to people so they can have a full meal delivered right to them so they're ready to go. And the next thing that we're gonna do to add action to our faith, because we talked about last week, we gotta do stuff. Because talk is cheap. Honestly, talk is weak as well. And this is we're gonna do stuff. The next thing we're gonna do over the next few weeks, we're going to go out, and this is your next mission, so you gotta do this, so let's do it. We're gonna go out and we're gonna find gifts for boys and girls from ages zero to three years old. So brand new, unwrapped gifts, go out and buy them. If you're not sure, if you don't have kids or it's been a long time, you're not sure what to get, literally you look at the box and the packaging and it will tell you up in the top corner like who this is for, okay? Like what age group it's for. Go buy one for every age group, go buy a bunch and have fun. Like you will have so much fun buying gifts for somebody else's kid. And you go and get stuff and bring it back in here. Again, brand new, unwrapped, so it can be all packaged because then around Christmas, uh, we're gonna have people come up all in. Again, we're working with Gift of Hope as an organization up in Brandon and we're gonna have families come in and this is so incredible. They get to go like these parents who could not provide uh, Christmas gifts for their children, which we understand Christmas is not about the presents, it's not about the gifts, but also as a parent, can you imagine the, the pain involved around Christmas when you can't provide for your kids in that way? These parents get to walk around and get to shop around and the, the, through the organization that they share Jesus with every person coming on campus and they talk about what the gospel is and this is where we can be part of this and we can step in and provide a gift for somebody because Jesus has stepped in and given us an incredible gift. So this is what we're gonna do over the next few weeks. You can clap for that, it's okay. You don't have to be shy. We're gonna get clapping, we're gonna have fun tonight. You don't gotta hold back, you let it go. We're gonna have a good time. And over the next few weeks, be on the lookout, find toys, go in as you're at the store, swing by the toy aisle and grab one gift, and grab two gifts, and grab three gifts, and, and try to outdo each other. Show up, hey, look at all the gifts I brought, and you didn't bring none. <laughs> Don't be the person who didn't bring none, right? And so we get to give. And even as we're talking about this idea of more than a hashtag, we kind of began this uh, series talking about uh, social media and how easily it is to uh, share things, post things, talk about things, and for so many of us, like, that's, that's where we live every day. We share things, we post things, we comment on things. But for a lot of us, uh, we can uh, spread some like, either like I'm getting to the holiday spirit so I can spread some like holiday cheer, right? Some joy or I can spread some negativity, right? And everyone was like, we have those friends and maybe you're the friend who spreads the negativity, right? Sorry to tell you too, but you're that friend maybe. And you share things, you talk about things and it's, it seems to have like a, a downward spiral, or maybe you're the friend who like, you're sharing all the joyous things, you're sharing the puppies, you're sharing the rainbows and unicorns and all the fun stuff and everyone's excited about things. Um, but actually there's some, some research done recently where they, they looked into what was the fastest spreading emotion on social media. And the second fastest spreading emotion on social media, and you probably can see this to be true, is anger or rage. And for some of us, like you see this on a regular basis of people who disagree with each other or maybe even as we're getting closer to the, the elections on Tuesday, which thank you, Jesus, the elections are over. Not because I hate politics, but because I hate commercials, right? 
Like every commercial is like, Justin Elam, he loves pumpkin pie and America and puppies and unicorns. And every kid gets a unicorn if he's elected. And the next commercial is like, you thought you knew Justin Elam. He hates unicorns and actually has a prison for all the unicorns and he throws pumpkin pie on the ground, right? And it's like, like really? Every, I mean, any way you look at it, right? It's just, uh, thankfully that's, that's over. But even for some of us, uh, depending on what side you are with the election, like people, and again, this is like right, left, top, bottom, however you wanna slice it and cut it up, is, is people can be really angry about stuff. Maybe your side didn't win, which honestly, if we're talking about politics and people are winning and losing in a, an environment where people are supposed to be helping each other, like that might be a problem we should address at some point, but we won't talk about that tonight. But maybe your side, you didn't get elected, the, the things even with our, our county or with our state, the amendments you wanted to pass didn't get passed, and now you take to social media to share things and comment on things and talk about things. And anger is a really easy thing because then people just kind of all jump in and go with it. Or if you're a Buccaneers fan, you know just feeling about every Monday where you're going, you're expressing anger, frustration, negativity about your team, and you're calling for their job and their job and everything in the between, right? And here, here's the reality, though. Like for all of us, when we engage in that kind of behavior, what happens is we begin to separate the humanity from the individual. And we begin to, instead of looking at them as a human being, we look at them as an object and we say things that we would never say to their face. We talk about people in a way that we would find completely inappropriate and repulsive in public forums, but somehow social media, it's okay to say these things about them, their family, their children. See, it didn't always used to be this way. It actually started like 20 years ago. See, back in 1998, there was something that happened in our country that swept the whole culture and everyone was talking about it because in 1998, there's a story that broke about an intern having an inappropriate relationship with her boss who happened to be the president of the United States of America. And even if you weren't born at that time, if I said the name Monica Lewinsky, things come right to your brain. And you start thinking about things. And what happened in the fallout of that, almost overnight, people realized for the first time, instead of simply consuming content through the news, instead of simply consuming information, we could create and share information. And through the internet, people started to create and share all sorts of things and talk about her in all sorts of ways. Now, now, we're not gonna get into like what she did and was that wrong or right. Like, like, let's not worry about that. Let's worry about like what we did as a culture to her. We almost humiliated her to death, literally. Her parents would sit outside of her shower and lay over the doorway from her bedroom because they were fearful that she would take her own life because of the humiliation and ridicule that she encountered as we as a culture grabbed her, even though it was 1998, dragged her like it was 1898 into the city square and picked up our rocks and our pitchforks and our torches and we're gonna judge her and we say all sorts of horrible things. We don't see the humanity because honestly we're drunk with judgment. And every one of us, we can be that way, can't we? And you go forward, fast forward 20 years later, like to today, like is it any different? Like it's it's worse, right? Like we go, whether it's a political figure, a celebrity, maybe it's a sports figure, like like whoever, like for whatever reason, it seems like if they're more distant or the more money they have at times even, like the less humanity we give them. And we say all sorts of things. And even through that, the whole thing, what we do is we lack the ability to show compassion to these people. A word that we don't use a whole lot in our culture, we lack mercy. 
And mercy is the withholding or removing punishment. Like someone could totally deserve judgment and punishment. We are going to withhold that. We're going to remove that so, so you can come in here and we are not going to judge you and things can happen online. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to comment on things. I'm not going to give my opinion. It's not that you shouldn't have an opinion. It's that you should have mercy even in a, with an opinion. Because I'm not the judge. You're not the judge, Right? And this, though, is not even uh, just 20 years old. It's not 40 years old. It's actually hundreds and hundreds of years old. Like, we love to judge people, don't we? People are afraid to clap about that. Like, that's a bad thing. Like, yeah, I like to judge people. Woo, judging people. No, like, like this is where the reality is. Like, we love to judge people. We love to compare ourselves to other people, to look around and see, well, I'm t- bigger than them or smaller than them or smarter than them or richer than them or whatever it is. We love to judge people. We love to have parameters on how we have to treat people. Jesus had an interaction like this with one of his followers, a guy named Peter. If you have a Bible, you can definitely open it up. I'd love for you to be following along in your own uh, Bible you got there. It's also gonna be up on the screen. This is gonna be in uh, Matthew 18, where Peter is talking to Jesus. Peter's one of Jesus' closest friends, and he comes up to Jesus with this question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brothers and sisters who sinned against me? Up to seven times? That sounds pretty good. Seven's a good number. See, Peter's coming to Jesus, uh, understanding uh, earlier when Jesus taught them how to pray, because they asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. When Jesus taught them how to pray, Jesus said, okay, and part of your prayer is that you ask God, God, would you forgive us our wrong as we forgive those who wrong us? And this is part of everyday life. You should be praying to God that he would forgive you as you forgive people. And, And Peter has this context and goes, okay, so like how many times should I forgive someone? Like seven times? Like that sounds like a lot. And what Peter's trying to do, which we all do this to a degree, is we love to have parameters on how we have to treat people, but we hate when people have parameters on how they have to treat us. Right, like, like how close, even with Jesus, and honestly, even like uh, scripture, church, things, like we love to get as close to the edge, like Jesus, like how much can I do with my girlfriend before it's sex? Right, like, like how much do I have to give? Like we're talking about this generosity campaign trying to raise $20,000. Like, like what, like, is it, am I supposed to tithe the 10%? Is that off a net or gross? Like how do we, you go pulling out all these calculations and things and figure out like what's the bare minimum, right? We all like to do that. And Peter's saying like, like, like how many times, and this is what Jesus answers. He answers with a short question and a long story. This is what Jesus says to him. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, depending on your translation of scripture, it might say 77 times or it might say seven times 70. Now, a real quick uh, summary of different translations because some of you might be curious about this. You're wondering why your Bible is different and like you're looking at it and going, my Bible is different. What's on the screen? Do I got the wrong Bible? You probably don't have the wrong Bible. What it is, is you see over here, it says NIV. That stands for New International Version. Uh, There's all different kinds of English translations from the original Greek in Hebrew. And the words that they use, it really depends on the, the way that they translated it. Just like if you had like a work manual or a school textbook that you were translated from Chinese to English, uh, some people would, uh, the, the way they translate, whether it's word for word, thought for thought, like whatever it is, like however they translate it will show up in the actual English words we have, and it's no different with Scripture. So it's not that you have the wrong Bible, it's that the translators of the, the translation you used maybe had a little bit different of a thought process. Okay, so seven times 70 or 77 times, Jesus is not telling him literally like 490 times. Because what Peter would have done, what I would do, what some of you would do, is we'd pull out a, a, a spreadsheet and we'd go, okay, one and 490, and like I'm just tracking everything from everybody, right? Like by Wednesday, you're like, honey, I only have to forgive you three more times for leaving the seat up. 
Jesus told me right here, like, or, or someone does something, you're like, I forgive you two times on that. Like, you only got like 488 times left. Because we love to keep track on things. We love to, to track with things. And this is where Jesus goes into this story with Peter. And he begins to talk to him about this. And he says, he starts it this way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, don't miss this. For some of us, we can glaze right over this. This part here where it says, the kingdom of heaven is like. This is where Jesus, in a, in a sense, like he's telling his, his followers, his friends, he's telling Peter like, hey, come a little bit closer. I'm gonna show you what God is like. Like in God's kingdom where he is the complete authority, where he has rule over everything, where he is operating as the supreme king in a very real and literal sense, like he has a throne and you can go to it and see him. This is what it's like where God is. And we can't skip over this because this is important because even as we go through this whole story, you're gonna see how, who God is. You're gonna see where we fall into this, where other people are at. So we need to pay attention. We need to look up and say, okay, the kingdom of heaven is like, this is important stuff. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, again, back to the translations thing, like you might have 10,000 bags of gold. You might have where it says 10,000 talents. And real quick, a talent is actually uh, the largest uh, denomination of money for them. So a talent uh, would be about 20 years salary. Okay, so, so 20 years salary, you can see up on the screen like 10,000 times 20 years salary. So, so I did a little bit of math uh, and I uh, figured about $50,000 is a nice round number for a salary times 20 times 10,000 equals $7.5 billion. I gotta tell you the truth, when this number first came up, I actually had to Google search, like what number is that? That's a little bit more zeros than I'm used to working with. But don't worry, I don't handle the church finances, so you can trust they got things covered. This dude had this massive debt in today's money, but even the point is that Jesus is making is like the talent was the largest denomination of money that they had, the largest sum of one unit of money, and 10,000 was the, the highest number they used in ancient calculations. So it's not just that Jesus is trying to make this massive number, he's trying to make this massive point. Like you take the, the most money you can think of, you take the biggest number you can think of, you put them together, like that's what this guy owed. The point Jesus is trying to make is this was a massive debt no one could pay back. Because you think about it, even like do the math in your head a little bit, even if you can go against it, like 60 years, you could work for 60 years, which would be like unheard of back then. If you could work for 60 years, you could earn back three talents. You owe 9,997. Like it's impossible. So what happens to this guy? He comes in, he owes 10,000 bags of gold. Verse 25 says, since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay everything back. It's interesting here, even in the situation, like this is a number that no one could pay back, that you couldn't do it. And what does the guy ask for? Patience. He doesn't ask for mercy. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. He doesn't ask for, could you like reduce my loan? Could you actually bundle all of my loans into one easy manageable payment that I can do and do that? No, he's like, could, could you just be patient with me? Could you just like, like give me time? I can figure this out. I can work hard enough. I can figure it out. 
Remember, this is a story about how heaven is like. This is a story how God's kingdom is like. And God is the king in this story. And for so many of us, this is where you're at right now. This is where we find ourselves so regularly is that when God comes and we know what we have deserved something from God, we ask for patience. Right now, even some of you are asking for patience, maybe not audibly to God, but in your heart, you're thinking, God, if you just give me more time, God, I know what I'm doing, I shouldn't be doing. Like, if you give me more time, I will stop this behavior. If you give me more time, I will stop this addiction. If you give me more time, I will figure this out. I can believe more if you just give me more time and you want patience. The reality is, is God doesn't want to give you patience. Like, God's not going to give you patience because he wants something much better for you. Look at this next verse. He asked for patience, but then what does his master say? His master takes pity on him, cancels his debt, and let him go. He says, I, like, I am such a good king. I am such a good master. You want patience. I'm gonna give you something so much better. You could never pay this back. I'm gonna cancel this completely and wipe it clean and let you walk out free. Now, this is reality. Where we find ourselves in this story is that for so many of us, we have acquired and, and grown a debt we could not pay back to God. What scripture teaches is that as we live our lives, contrast what God has for us. Every single one of us do this every single day. I do things that are against what God would have me to do and I am incurring debt to God. Like God deserves, or God is judging me. I totally deserve that. And for so many of us, even if you're not really sure what you believe about God or church, and that, like, you're totally welcome here. We love having people here. Uh, like, you don't have to believe what we believe, you're welcome to come and be here. But even if you're like, I don't know if I believe or agree with the Christian version of God, most of us would understand, like, like if I do something against the idea of God or against God, like, I probably owe them something. And that's why if you ask people, like, like how does God view you, it ultimately ends up in like a, a scales kind of thing. Like, well, my good outweighs my bad. Like, my bad weighs down a lot. But if I do enough good, like, I, I earn something from my bad things. So I want to do enough good things. But this is where the gospel is, and this is the gospel right here. This is the good news, that even though I have earned a debt to God, I never could pay back. God freely wipes it completely clean and lets me walk out free based on everything he did. Now, how many of you, you can make some noises. How many of you have a debt that you could never pay back to God? Anybody here, you make some noise. You can put your hands together. You can say, no, no. Now, here's the second question. Here's the second question, and this is where the good news is. How many of you, you can make a lot of noise for this one. How many of you, you couldn't pay it back, but God completely wiped it clean and canceled it for you? Anybody? This is the good news, and this is the reality. This is the good news. Like, y'all are warming up still. I can feel it, okay? We're gonna break through. We're gonna have a good time. But this is the good news. Now, how dumb would it be for this guy to say, you know what, actually, can I just stay here and just be your slave? Like, I just feel so bad. Like, I, I'm gonna ignore what you have said to me. I'm gonna listen to what I'm telling myself. Forget what the, the just judge has declared. I'm going to self-inflict a payment plan. For some of you, that's exactly what we're doing, right? Like, God has completely and totally wiped the slate clean. You're just making noise about that. You're excited about that. But then we fall back into this guilt mentality of I have to do stuff. Like, it couldn't be good. Like, like it can't. It's too good to be true. Like, it is too good to be true. But God is so good he can be trusted. I want to trust what God says, not what I tell myself, because I will tell myself all sorts of weird and twisted things, good and bad things. 
And if I'm this dude, if, I'm, if the king has set me free, if the king has set you free, you gotta walk out of there. You gotta walk out of there a free man, a free woman. You gotta embrace the life that God has called you to live and not be bound by your own self-deception. For some of you, even today, we're gonna talk about this, and you're gonna find freedom tonight from things you've been holding on, that you've been carrying, that you've bound your hands in these chains, and God has said, I've already broken your chains free. Why are you chaining yourself up to this? Some of you, this is the reason you're here at church tonight, is God wants to do something in you and then through you that you would never have imagined because you're still focused on how broken you are instead of God declaring you righteous, declaring you pure, declaring you holy, declaring you free. But this guy has a short-term memory problem because he goes out and he finds another servant. And this is what happens. He goes out and he, he finds another one of his fellow servants, one who owed him 100 silver coins. 100 silver coins, if you go with the same scale of like a $50,000 uh, annual salary, like 100 days wages is what the, a silver coin was uh, valued at. So uh, I told you I'm not real good at numbers, uh, but one of these numbers, $7.5 billion and $19,000. One of these numbers is a whole lot bigger than the other one, right? Yes. Thank you. I did not have to look up the 19,000. And here, here's the reality. Like this dude goes out and finds someone who owes him chump change. Yeah. Now for some of us, like we have literally paid off $19,000 in debt. Like my wife and I, we've literally paid off $19,000 in student loan debt to try to get Sally Mae out the house. We don't want her. She don't, like, you know, get out, right? Like some of you have, you've done this several times over in your life and $19,000 does not sound like a lot of money. But to this guy, it was. He finds a guy who owes him money, then he grabs him and begins to choke him and says, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And in verse 29, it says, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. That sound familiar? Be patient. I can do this. I can figure this. And the reality is, he could pay it back. Like he had the ability, I believe he could have paid back 100 days wages. Like you can figure out a way, you can scrap and claw and work your way to, to that. So the guy says, okay, you know what? No big deal. I actually, you know, I just got forgiven $7.5 billion and that's totally fine. And you got that $19,000, you can just go with it. That's cool. You know what? Actually, you want some more money? Some of you are like, yo, if that's in the Bible, like I really got the wrong Bible. I don't know what translation I got. Now, this is what happens. The guy who is just forgiven so much refuses. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay back the debt. This guy's angry. This guy's mad. This guy is frustrated. He's holding on to this debt. And this is reality. This is like a forgiveness story. This is a forgiveness issue. This is a mercy issue. And this is reality. For some of us, you need to hear this. Like forgiveness is building a prison. It's going to put someone in jail, but it doesn't put the person in jail. You think it does. Watch this story unfold. When the other servants heard what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Apparently, they did not know that snitches get stitches. When the master called the servant in, he said, you wicked servant. Like, I just set you free, and now you're wicked. You are a wicked servant. Why are you a wicked servant? Because I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. 
And you think, why is the master angry? Like, he's not angry about the, the billions of dollars the guy should have paid him back. Like, he, he, he wiped that clean. He completely forgave him of that. He judged him. He called him wicked, not because he could not pay back the debt he owed, but because of how he interacted with another servant. And this is the reality for some of us. Like, you gotta hear this, that, that God is not gonna judge you based off what he's forgiven you, because he's forgiven you. He's wiped the slate clean. But I do believe God will judge us on how we interact with people around us. How we treat people. Like whether it's your neighbor, your coworker, the person sitting next to you, the homeless person on the street, like, like God is going to look at our lives and not in like a jumbo screen, play back every sinful thing Justin ever did, public display of humiliation, but in a, a private, I think personal way where Jesus is gonna go, like, dude, I gave you so much. Like I, I gave you so much mercy. How come you couldn't be merciful to somebody else? I said that unforgiveness will build a prison. It doesn't put the person you think in it, but what happens actually is unforgiveness builds a prison that you end up the only prisoner in. And as you hold on to these debts that people owe you and they're legitimate, like the $19,000 that this guy owed the other dude, totally legitimate. And, but when we hold on to those, we're actually putting our hands, our wrists in chains, and we're building a prison around us where we think it's going to affect them. We think they deserve this. I'm going to get them, but the only one who's really being punished is you. Some of you have experienced this. You've seen this as part of your life, and what I want to tell you is, is you can find freedom from that. I think tonight you're going to find freedom from that. And Jesus closes the deal with this story by finishing up, and this is what he says. That's exactly, this is how my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother and sisters from your heart. Now these last three words are the most important, right? Because every one of us, if you grew up with a brother or sister, make some noise. If you grew up with a brother or sister, who here, brother or sister, anybody? I grew up with a couple of brothers. I grew up with a sister. I'm the best. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But how many of you, you had an interaction, if you're a parent, you've had this with your kids, where they're like, some clashes happening, some conflict, some resolution needs to happen, and you, mom or dad came in, and they said, okay, Justin, say sorry to your brother. And what would Justin do? Sorry. And my other brother's over here, and you say you forgive him. What my brother do? Forgive you. Great, everything's like awesome, right? Go play. Like, is that from the heart? No. And what happens, though, is like, that's a, that's a childish thing. And if I can be straight with you, like, some of us still apologize and forgive in a childish way. We go and we say, oh, oh I forgive you, but you hold on to it. You remember it. And it's not from your heart. And you're going, and this is the thing, is you think, oh, she did that to me. Oh, I forgive you. Like, everything is cool, but, like, there's just consequences to your choices, which there are consequences to your choices. But one of the consequences of your unforgiveness is you're putting yourself in prison. And you go and you say, well, I forgive you. And then you go and you walk away and you go, well, well, I just, I haven't forgotten. I forgive him, but I haven't forgotten. Reality is you look at this story, the king forgave the guy billions of dollars. He didn't bring it up only to show him, like, I give you mercy. He didn't bring it up to manipulate him later. He didn't bring it up and say, like, remember you owed that and then put him down on that. He just said, hey, I gave you all this mercy. Like, how come you couldn't forgive somebody? And for so many of us, like, we need, we need freedom from unforgiveness, and unforgiveness and mercy are tied together. That's what we're talking about because the reason how this fits into our, our, even our generosity campaign, even uh, going and doing something, loving people, is it's really hard to love people that you have no mercy for. And for some of us, it's not just individuals, it's entire groups of people that we have zero tolerance, zero mercy for. 
We believe that they should have judgment and we, for whatever reason, think that we are the judge to bring it against them. And I can tell you, that's wrong. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. God is the judge, but we are the people who are able to forgive. As you see here, like the power to forgive, it depends on the person who was wrong, not the person doing the wrong. You look in this story, who asks for forgiveness? Nobody asks for forgiveness in this story. People ask for patience. Give me time, I'll figure this out, I'll fix this. No one asks for forgiveness. But the person who was wronged, the king, gives forgiveness. And we have this idea of forgiveness of, well, I will forgive them when they come and ask for it. The reality is they're never probably gonna come ask for it. For a lot of us, like we've replayed it over in our minds again and again about the time that they just come in and they drop to their knees and they're like, I'm so sorry, would you please forgive me? That's a great fantasy because it's never gonna happen. Because half the time when we have unforgiveness in our hearts, the person's walking around, they have no idea they even wronged us. There's other times where they clearly know that they've wronged us. And we have this anger, this bitterness, this hurt, and the anger and the hurt and the bitterness, like it's all legit. And for a lot of us, like when we go into unforgiving, a debtor relationship where you owe me something, like it's legitimate. They owe you something. For some of you, it's, they owe you your innocence. They owe you a first marriage. They owe you uh, the, the car. They owe you a, a whatever finances. They owe you a business venture. They owe you a deal. They owe you a child, like whatever. It's like, you owe me something. And for so many of you, like it is legitimate they owe you something, and they should pay, but they don't have to pay for you to forgive them. Because even for some people, I was talking with this guy today, uh, he had a thing with his mom that he had to work through forgiveness, his mom, after she was dead. Like, literally, she's never coming back to ask for forgiveness, and if she did, it'd be really creepy, right? But he was able to forgive her because he had the power to do it. And for some of us, we feel powerless in our pain, in our hurt, and we have to understand, like, like God has given you the power to forgive people because he's forgiven you of so much. And you can go around and you can forgive people. But again, we love judging people. We love, you hurt me, I'm gonna pay you back with interest, you did this, I'm gonna get you back. And this reality is, for so many of us, like, you have to understand, this is not a new thing. Judging people is not a new thing. It, was, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the time where people constantly were comparing and judging themselves. And Paul, this guy, wrote this letter to the church in Rome where he goes through, you can check this out in Romans chapter two, and he talks to them and says, like, you are mere humans. He's dealing with this issue of judgment, you're judging the other person and you, like, you're mere human beings. You pass judgment on them, yet you're doing this very thing that you're telling them not to do. Like, do you seriously, like, do you think you're gonna escape God's judgment? So many of us do this. And then he goes on, and this is exactly what happened in this story. The point Jesus is illustrating to Peter and everyone listening is a contempt for the riches of God's kindness. Like the servant gets pardoned from this massive debt that he could never pay and he has contempt. He does not value that. He doesn't care about it. He goes out and finds someone who owes him something petty and he's gonna make them pay. But this is the reality. As we show contempt for God's riches and kindness and forbearance, his patience, he does give us patience. We don't realize that his kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Like we gotta get back to this. Like for so many of us and like for even you in this room, like maybe this is why you're at church. Like, like you gotta understand, God's not trying to get you back through angry and intimidation. 
right? Anger is such a cheap and phony motivator, isn't it? Like in my house, I can use anger. I can get loud. I have kids and I'm bigger than everybody in my house by a few feet. So like I can get big. I can get mean real quick, right? And, and as a dad, even like I gotta keep this in check. I gotta work through this. And maybe if you're a dad, you gotta work through this too. And look, this is where we can have a safe place. We can be open and honest about this stuff. But like I can get so angry so quickly. And then what happens is like I can get my voice loud. My tone gets sharper. I can yell at my kids. And the problem is like they don't really do anything because I have three little girls and they just end up crying. But if they would do something, like I can motivate them through intimidation and anger, can't I? And you do a similar thing. I guess like maybe you do a similar thing. Maybe I'm alone on this. Like at work, you know like, well, if I play nice, like they're not, but I'm gonna be a little bit mean and stuff's gonna happen. We'll meet that deadline. Or you're on customer service on the phone and you've been trying nice, and then pretty soon you start saying, well, well I need, that's not good enough. I don't care, Tina. I need to talk to your manager. I need to talk to your manager. I need to talk to your manager. And you start to get mean, and anger is such a cheap and phony motivator because it does nothing to the heart. Right? It can, it can produce action, and it can produce something external, but internally, when I'm angry and motivating people through anger, they don't want to be around me. They don't love me more when I'm angry at them. And for so many of us, like, you have to understand, like, God is not trying to lead you to himself through his anger and intimidation. It's through his kindness. You go back to this story we're talking about. Think about this, this servant who was forgiven $7.5 billion debt. As he's walking out of the judge's chambers, as he's walking out of the king's court, you think he's afraid of the king or grateful? If I'm that guy, I'm grateful. And I want to get around with other people. I want to tell them, hey, this is how great the king is. Like, he forgave my debt. He, like, I don't have to pay it back. Like, I know it's crazy. That was a lot of money, right? Like, like, I don't have to pay it back. And I'm just so enamored with his kindness, his mercy. And for all of us, like, this is where we can show that same kindness and mercy to people around us. We can love people in the same way. And for some of us, even like our, our pain, our hurts, we say, well, like, like, but if I show them mercy, like we feel, we get afraid because if I show them mercy, then it's, it's like I'm agreeing that what they did was not a big deal. It's like, if I show them mercy, I'm, I'm almost agreeing with them that the hurt that I had is not legitimate when it totally is. And I'm almost agreeing with them that like, like it's not a big deal. But the reality is when I show someone mercy, it's not that I agree with them, it's that I agree with God. And first, I agree with God about myself. Like, I realized, like, I was forgiven a debt I never could pay. And because I was forgiven a debt I never could pay, I can forgive you of debts that you might be able to pay. Because of how good God has been to me, not how good you've been to me. And, and can I tell you the truth? I think even in this story, I kind of read into this a little bit. So this is just like my thought. So like, don't run this as like gospel truth in the Bible inspired for God. Like, this is just my thought, okay? Like, I think that the, the first servant was kind of cocky in himself. Like, think about this. The guy was entrusted with $7.5 billion. Like, fools and slouches don't get given that much money, right? Like, he probably had some ability to make money. He probably was really good. He was probably like, man, like, go to the stock exchange. That guy, like, I don't think they had the stock exchange back then, but donkey exchange, I don't know what they were doing. But he, like, this dude had things together, and, and he, I think, as he's leaving, I think in the back of his mind, he's thinking, like, yeah, that debt wasn't that big of a deal. Like, yeah, 7.5, like, eh, I mean, I could, I could probably outmake that. And for so many of us, when we have a small view of the debt that we've been forgiven, we actually have a small view of the God who did the forgiving. You need to remember that. 
Because even we, we see patterns of people, and I, like I look at people who've like walked with Jesus for a long time, people who have great faith, like I think they think they are worse today than they were 20 years ago. Because they're getting closer and closer to Jesus and they're seeing more and more how twisted and broken their heart is. But when my view of, of God's forgiveness is small, my view of God is small, and we wanna have a big view of God, and we gotta realize to have that, we gotta have a big view of the forgiveness he's given to us. Like you could not pay back what God rightfully should punish you with. But Jesus stepped in and took all that on himself. And because of that, shouldn't I, shouldn't we who claim to follow Jesus be the most loving, forgiving, merciful people out of anybody? Like that should be us, right? But sadly, sadly we're not. At least we're not seen that way. And I don't know where this kind of fell in. I don't know how this happened, but somewhere along the line in recent culture, we've been seen as homophobic, judgmental, segmented, right-winged, racist, hypocrites. And for so many of us, you're saying like, that's not me though. Like you say those things and it almost makes me angry because that's not me. I'm just, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just saying like, there is a, a standard that God set out and I wanna, like, yes, I wanna love you, but I, I don't like, how do I reconcile these two things of so the truth of God's word with loving people? I think it happens in the context of relationship. Where I go and I meet someone that I am not like and I begin to learn from them and talk with them. We talked about this idea uh, last week and we're gonna revisit this probably every week through the series is if not you, then who? Like who is gonna go change your neighbor's mind about Christianity and Jesus if you're not going to? Like who's gonna walk across the street or walk across the aisle or walk across whatever to talk to a coworker, a friend, a family member and begin to redefine who Jesus is to them because a lot of people, we heard about this a lot, a lot of people are walking away from a Jesus that never existed. They think Jesus is this or that or the other thing, and we get the opportunity to go and say, you know what, like, I'm not sure about that, but I know I'm supposed to love you. Because again, the, the, the king was not judging the first servant because he could not pay the debt back. He was judging the first servant because of how he interacted with somebody else. So how were we supposed to interact with other people? This is where, this is not on one side of the equation. This is not like a rich people need to go talk to poor people or this people need to talk to those people or right wing needs to talk to left wing or left. Like this is a both and. This is everybody needs to come together to learn from each other. One of the best relationships I had in my adult life was this guy named Arlanders. who's a 65-year-old dude who grew up in inner city Chicago. He's like OG, great guy, love working with him. As you can probably tell, we have a very similar background and upbringing. We even look alike. Thank you for that polite laugh. But, but here's the deal, like I grew up, so he grows up like inner city, uh, all sorts of different issues and lifestyle environment things. And I grew up like out in a rural area up in Connecticut and like, like honestly, like all my friends were right, all people I knew, a bunch of people were right, just the area I was at, that's just what we had. And being able to talk with him and learn from him about things and the ideas I had that were incorrect that he needed to kindly and lovingly adjust. Like, you think that's the solution? That's not the solution. That's gonna cause these problems. Oh, and then we talk and he would interact with me. I had to learn from him. We were learning from each other. And it was honestly, like, it was, I'm so thankful for my friendship with him because it opened my eyes to see I need to befriend people who are not like me so I can learn from them because it's really hard to have mercy for someone you know nothing about. And it's really easy to hate someone you know nothing about. The reality, though, is if it's not us, who's going to take the first step? 
Like, like, let's be real. If, if marches and protests and sign holding was really effective, we'd see more change, wouldn't we? And I, and I think that honestly, there are some things we gotta march about. There's some things we need to talk about. There's some things that we need to go on the offensive and say, no, like this, we're gonna be a voice for the voices. We're gonna care for people. We're gonna love people. Like we need to raise awareness about things, but a more powerful thing to do is to go across the street and talk to your neighbor. Because if you go, you don't have to worry about clapping. Let it go. Let's go. Let's have some fun. Like, if you go on a Saturday and march somewhere, but don't talk to your neighbor, I think Jesus would say one is more important than the other. And if you're not going to do it, who's going to do it? Because what happens even in these situations is, is both people are looking at this, this fence of ignorance, this wall of ignorance, and it looks exact same from both sides. Right, like young people are looking at old people and they're intimidating and they're scary and they seem like they don't want me around and old people are looking at young people and saying they're scary and they're intimidating and they're acting like they don't want me around and white people are looking at black people or anyone in minority and say like they need to figure out things, they need to learn things and, they not, and the other side of the people over here, the minority group of people are looking at white people and say they need to learn things, they need to learn things. Like, like can we just stop pointing fingers and being afraid to talk to each other and just get around a table and talk? Like, imagine the impact that would have if you would go out and befriend people who are not like you. Imagine the, the depth and the weight your words would have when you say, God has redeemed me and has changed me when I'm with people who I'm not like at all. I can still show them love. I had a friend of mine who was interacting with a lady, and this lady brought up this specific sin thing that she's been living in and doing. And she said, like, oh, so you go to church, so like, what does, what is, like, what do you believe about this thing? And my friend said, I think, I think it just says I'm supposed to love you. And that's the reality is for us, a lot of times we lead with judgment when we should lead with mercy. But instead of, even honestly, instead of withholding or holding back, we need to remove judgment because we are not the judge. Jesus is. We need to let him sort stuff out. We gotta go out and love people. So I talked about how anger was the most, or the second most quickly spread emotion uh, on social media. The first one was awe, amazement, fascination. And this is really, this is where for some of you, this is why you came to church tonight. You don't even know it, but this is why you're here. Is you have something broken with your awe where we are designed, where we hold things up and we worship things. As Brian said, like worship is life and you will worship something. For a lot of us that we're worshiping the wrong thing. Like we're holding on to that bitter, that hurt, that anger, and we're holding up that unforgiveness. We're holding up in the place where Jesus should be. And that is the thing that we are fixated on. That's the thing we're fascinated with. That's the thing we're amazed at. The hurt that they caused me has affected every relationship around you. And this is the reality that Jesus came to give us life and to set us free. So he wants to take that. He wants to fix that problem for you. Because when I can focus on Jesus and I can, instead of focusing on money, on sex, on your career, on your kids, on your car, whatever, you put up in that awe place. When Jesus comes and Jesus says, no, you need to push that to the side. And Jesus is so good. Jesus is the king who forgives all of our debts. Jesus is so good. We can be excited about how good Jesus is by putting our hands together and shouting and celebrating. God is so good. I want to worship him only. I don't want to worship anything else. Because anything else is lesser than. Anything else is smaller than Jesus. And for so many of us, we have something broken with our awe where we need to stop focusing on those other things and ask God for the wisdom and the ability to worship Jesus again. Not a political party. Not your family. And political party like left and right. 
like not your family, not your kids, not your career, not money, not sex. We need to acknowledge that we are putting those things in the wrong place and it's wreaking havoc on our lives. When Jesus is in the place of awe, then everything can be okay. And what I wanna help so many of you with tonight, we've been doing this all day, we've heard stories uh, from today and also previously when we've done this in our gathering is work through unforgiveness because for so many of us, we are working through unforgiveness, we just don't even know it. But we're working through it in the wrong way where it's getting deeper and deeper in our souls instead of excavating it out and like trying to get it to go somewhere and deal with it. We have this thing at Connect Point, and we can hand those out. You can grab them on your way out. It's called the, the Forgiveness Worksheet, and it will help you kind of systematically work through forgiving people. And it might sound like really sterile and clinical and homework, but it's, it's really, honestly, it is a spiritual practice. I believe forgiveness is a spiritual practice. I was talking with this guy today, and he said, like, there are times I gotta forgive someone 10 times in a row for something, but I'm learning the spiritual practice of forgiving them, and it has power because it's able to help me walk free where I'm not in this prison of hurt and pain and unforgiveness. And on this, this worksheet, you'll see three columns. We're gonna have all three questions and you can go right up here at the same time. It's, who are you angry with? Like specifically for some of it's individuals, for some of it's entire groups of people. And again, your question, like how does this fit into generosity? How does this fit into making a difference? Like Jesus wants to make a difference in you before he's gonna make a difference through you. And for a lot of us, the thing that's holding up the difference in us is unforgiveness, bitterness, and anger. So, so who, who are you angry with? Be specific. What did they do? For some of you, honestly, this is gonna be hard for you because you're gonna be reliving some hurts. And this is not like a thing of like, hey, we're gonna go out to dinner afterwards. Let's all work through this at dinner and share. Like this is like, go, hey, go get alone, private somewhere, bring some Kleenex, maybe go out in the middle of nowhere in your car so you can yell and scream and cry and deal with all the emotions that God has given you to deal with. But what did they do? Last thing is, is how did that make you feel? Now, before you write this off as like some psychological counseling mumbo jumbo, ah, oh, don't tell me how I feel. No, like, like for real, how did you make you feel when they grabbed you like that? Did you feel worthless? Like, how did, it, how did it make you feel when they took your innocence? Did it make you feel disgusted? How did it make you feel when they walked out? Did it make you feel angry? How did it make you, like, like you can't fix what you don't know is there, so you gotta be specific. How did it make you feel? The sad reality is for a lot of us guys, like we don't wanna deal with this stuff. We just wanna stuff it down and go, no, nah, I don't worry about it. Can I tell you the truth? Like, you gotta deal with your crap because it's spewing out all over the people around you. I did this a few years ago uh, with some counselors. My wife and I were at this counseling group and, and we were talking with them and I was going through this and I discovered this about myself, which is kind of weird. I did not expect this at all. But a person who hurt me, a person I was angry with was my mom. And like, I love my mom, she is great. Like if you knew the things I was angry with her about, I'd be embarrassed compared to some of you, the dysfunction, the hurt you went through. You're like, seriously, dude? But for whatever reason, it anchored somewhere in my soul and I was holding on to it. And it was showing up with my wife, with other women where things would happen. I would instantly be angry about things. I didn't know why. And I discovered I was angry with my mom. I had to deal with it and talk through it. For some of you, let's be real, like you're angry with God. Like, God, like you said, if I would just follow you, things would be good and things were not good. Like, God, like you, like you said you blessed us, but like, where's the baby at? Like, God, we want a baby so badly and, and why is there no baby? Are you angry with God because you lost the baby? Been there. 
dealt with that. I was pissed off at God. I was angry. I wanted to clench my fist and say, God, like, why would you do this? God, why'd you let them walk out? God, why did you let that deal fall through? I fell on my face professionally. I was humiliated in front of all these people. Like for some of us, you gotta deal with being angry at God. And we need to create a safe place where you can be angry with God so you can deal with that anger. And it sounds so strange for some of you, but you have to forgive God, the author of forgiveness. But the reality is that's true. You have to forgive God on some things because you are holding on to something you believe he owes you. And you'll find when you forgive people, you'll be released from this weight. We had a lady even before when we were doing this a few years ago in our gathering, people were sharing their powerful stories about finding freedom through finding forgiveness. And she said, I wrote down, I had to take a couple of sheets and literally I had a few sheets just for my ex-husband. And I wrote down all this stuff and specifically, and it was hard and it was messy and I was ugly crying. And it was like, oh man, it's a bad day. And she put it in the oven because we tell you, hey, like destroy this thing, burn it up, like don't hide it somewhere, like burn it, shred it, feed it to your dog, do whatever you want to to destroy it. This is a spiritual practice. So she puts it in her oven and lights it on fire and said, literally, as it burned up, I felt this weight lift off me. But it's not just simply asking these three questions because this is just recognizing there's an issue. And we as believers are not called to simply respond to things, but to be responsible for finding solution. And and Jesus is a solution. So you take all this to him. And you take and you say this prayer. You say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Again, it always begins and ends with Jesus, putting him in the proper place in my life, that Jesus is amazing. I'm focused on him. So we say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Through your power, it's not your power, it's his power, I will forgive him, her, them for the abuse, the neglect, the gossip, the slander, the the stealing, whatever it might be, you're forgiven specifically for something and I cancel the debt they owe me knowing it will release me as well. Thank you for canceling my debt and for giving me strength to walk in forgiveness. Now, for some of you, like you've done something like this, and you're like, yeah, that's powerful, and you're gonna do it again. You're f- gonna find more freedom. And again, this is a, a practice where we continue in this. You're gonna have to forgive some people multiple times on the ride home. Like you're gonna have to continue to look at like your dad or your mom or your boss or that person who's in authority, the person who said they would and they 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 didn't, the person who said they would never and then they did. Like you're gonna have to think about them and meditate. You're gonna have to focus on forgiving them because it is a spiritual act. But can you imagine the kind of power you would have in your life, the kind of power we would have as a gathering if we were an entire group of people who weren't holding on to anything? Like people who were not twisted by unforgiveness, people who were not imprisoned by bitterness and anger and people who could extend mercy to people. Can you imagine the impact we could have on our community? Can you imagine the impact you could have on your family? This is where I love our First Impressions team because our First Impressions team does an incredible job. And if you want to join a team, First Impressions is a great team to join. They do an incredible job making this a place of no judgment, making this place a merciful place where people come in from all walks of life, unsure with whose hand they're holding, walking in, they're like, it is a shame that people are still asking, are we accepted in church? Like, for real, can we get a little angry about that? Can we share about that? Like, like, how could anyone walk into a place where we claim to hold Jesus up and say, like, Jesus who accepted everybody and anybody, and they question, like, will I be accepted here? Yes. Like, why wouldn't you be accepted here? 
Jesus has willingly and fully accepted me, so how can I turn and judge you? We as a gathering, just again, imagine the impact we could have. We currently, we're having it here through our first impressions team, through welcoming environments, but also even as we go out from this place, imagine the impact you can have on your neighbors, on your schools, and your classmates, on your coworkers, as you loved people without judgment. And you didn't hold on to stuff. Because this is also reality, like, like who's showing mercy? Like who? And as the body of Jesus, as the, the people of God, if we're not gonna show mercy, can I tell you, I don't think anyone's going to. So it's up for us to do that today. We gotta love mercy. We gotta love mercifully too. Do you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much. Jesus, for giving us the power to walk in forgiveness. But God, first and foremost, thank you for forgiving us. God, you have canceled the debt that we could not pay, but you canceled it not with judging us, but through taking our punishment and judgment on yourself. And God, I pray that we could take that mercy you've given us and freely extend it to people around us. God, I pray for people right now who are gonna work through some unforgiveness in their lives. God, things that they didn't even know were there. I pray that you have courage and strength to work through that. God, that your spirit would be powerful in them, that the enemy would not speak their lives anymore over their lives, but God, that they would be able to walk in the new life, the full life that you have called them and given them. God, I pray for us as a gathering that we'd be welcoming to every kind of person imaginable, God, that we would be the most loving, merciful place, that there would be no, no judgment, God, no looks, no words, nothing that people would feel embarrassed about coming in here. But God, that we could do something with our faith, God, we could love people with mercy. Pray you give us wisdom on how to do this and strength to follow you. We love you. Thank you so much for forgiveness. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.